Good evening. We are glad you're here tonight. We're very thankful that you have chosen to come back tonight. Kevin's been doing a lot of work on the sound system and streaming service, and so he's done a great job, been up here for about two days straight, day and night. And I know that uh, he is OCD when it comes to making sure this stuff is right. And so we've had some glitches today, and uh, no fault of his, but we appreciate all the great work that he does, and uh, certainly want, to, want him to know that we appreciate it, and uh, we'll do our best. I do want to say thank you to James. James has done a great job, and listen, to step up at the 11th hour and lead singing, I think that he's done just an admirable job. We appreciate him. I know that many of you have encouraged him, and we're grateful for him and for all of the members here at Olive Branch. We've got a lot of talent here, and uh, James and Kathleen, they work with our young folks, lads to leaders, and they're doing a great job, and we've had a number of people that have joined in. Uh, Tyler and Heather and others, and so we appreciate them very, very much. We do have VBS coming up next month. I know that Heather and other ladies are up here working, and we appreciate all the work that they're putting into VBS. We hope that you'll make plans to be a part of that. If you have the opportunity to help in any capacity, I can assure you there's a job for you. I just know that they'll find a place for you, and so we would love to have you as a part of that work. Let me ask this question. Did everyone get a copy of the lesson tonight? Yes, no? N let me get Nick. If you didn't get a copy, let me get Nick, a couple of other guys, to make sure that you get a copy of this. I want all of us to have a copy of this tonight. We had some extra copies run off. I think Brad ran those off. But anyway, we want to make sure everybody gets a copy of this because I want us to look at a text. We're going to first examine the text, and, and then we're going to make some application. I do want to say very quickly that I had a conversation just a little bit earlier with a brother who took issue over the lesson this morning because it dealt with aging. And he said, today's my birthday. And I said, listen, I didn't choose the text. The text chose me because, as you well know, we sat down first of the year and came up with key chapters, and so it just happened to be that today was the text, Psalm 90, and so uh, don't shoot the messenger. But we appreciate you being here tonight. We're going to look at 2 Kings chapter 5. You know, there's a great deal of information packed in the Old Testament. Paul said that the Old Testament benefits us by way of learning, Romans chapter 15, verse 4. Sometimes we neglect studying the Old Testament. There are principles contained in the Old Testament that help us to better understand the New Testament or the New Covenant. Tonight we're going to be looking at 2 Kings chapter 5. And this particular text deals with a man by the name of Naaman. Naaman was an honorable individual. He was a captain the Syrian army. And Naaman was a man that, no doubt, had a lot of virtues. And so we're going to look at our text, and I want us to look at this text. I want to first begin with an examination of the text, and then we're going to talk about the application of this text. And I hope you'll listen, and I want to encourage you tonight 
Some of the things that may be said tonight might be foreign to you. It might be that you haven't heard this before. Please, do not take my word for what you hear tonight. I encourage you, go home and make sure that what has been said tonight is found in Scripture. The Bereans of old were commended by Luke in Acts chapter 17. It was said of them that they were more noble than those in the city of Thessalonica, in that they received the Word of God with all readiness of mind and searched the Scriptures daily to see whether those things are so. What we're going to be talking about tonight by way of application is very important because there are a lot of folks, they hear one thing, they practice one thing, but the question is, is it biblical? Is it in the message? Peter said, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. So what we're talking about tonight, hopefully and prayerfully, will be rooted in Scripture. So I encourage you, I challenge you tonight, please examine the text and then note, if you would, the application that we make. So let's first of all begin by talking about the concern for this man named Naaman. Naaman was the commander of the army, according to chapter 5, verse 1, of the king of Syria. Now Syria was located north of Israel, or the city of Jerusalem. Syria, the capital of Syria, was a city that you well know, Damascus. And we think about Saul of Tarsus and how he was on the road to Damascus to bind Christians who were followers of the way, to bring them back bound to Jerusalem. And so this man was a very important individual. The Bible says he was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master. Because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. And so there you have, parenthetically, an illness in the life of this great man, this great warrior, an honorable man. Lepers, as you well know, they were ostracized. They were deemed by the children of Israel as being unclean. No doubt... To live as a leper would have been a horrible plight in life. And so the text says, the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. And she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. Now this girl, obviously well acquainted with Jehovah God, knowledgeable about the prophets of God. And so word's going to get sent back to the king who ultimately will send word to Elisha the prophet, the successor of Elijah. And so Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. The king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised, when this letter comes to you that I've sent my, my servant Naaman to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. 
It happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and he said, Am I God to kill and to make alive? This man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy. Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. So the king is somewhat indignant and understandably, he gets this letter about Naaman and the intent is to heal Naaman of his leprosy. And so in verse 8, the text says, So it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent to the king. Now I want you to note in the second place. First we think about there was concern for Naaman. That is, his master's servant, the young girl that was her attendant, she was concerned over his leprosy, and she thought, you know what, if I can just get him in front of the right person, he'll be healed. And so now note, if you would, Elisha the prophet. Elisha gives the command. So it was when Elisha the man of God heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Those who were prophets, they were great men of God who spoke on behalf of God. Sometimes prophetically they spoke for God about coming events. Elisha had great power, as did Elijah. And so the Bible says that Naaman went with his horses and chariot, stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger to him. And here's what he said. Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. When I read this text, there are two things that stand out to me. Number one, the simplicity of the message. Go wash seven times in the river Jordan, and what will happen? You'll be clean. And then I think about the straightforwardness of the message. Anyone here misunderstand what Elisha said? Anybody have difficulty comprehending what the prophet said through the messenger to Naaman? Go wash seven times in the river Jordan and what will happen? You'll be cleansed. Sometimes people have difficulty with the simplest of commands, don't they? I mean, don't we see that in the religious world sometimes? Here are straightforward commands, statements made in Scripture, and yet people seem to be puzzled, confused, misinformed. And so here you have this divine command. Now note if you would, thirdly, the consternation of Naaman. Note, if you would, what is said in verse 11. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, some translations say, I thought to myself, He will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the place, and heal the leprosy. You know, sometimes... In our reasoning, 
We're not basing our reasoning on the message that we've heard. Now think about that for a minute. Naaman is, he's angry, enraged, furious. Because in his mind, he's thinking, you know, the prophet's going to just do some great feat and I'll be cleansed. And so, note if you would his faulty reasoning in verse 12. Are not the Abana and the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? And then the text says he went away in a rage. So, Naaman's angry, furious. Because what the prophet said did not coincide with what he thought. Now, you know, sometimes people become angry over what they hear, biblically speaking. There are instances when people get angry at the messenger, when in reality they're angry at the message they heard. You know, sometimes you've heard of people in days gone by who have heard a lesson, for example, on baptism for remission of sins. And they have left angry, somewhat defensive. They've gone home with the intent of proving that preacher wrong. Well, so they take it out on the, on the messenger. Haggai said that he was the Lord's messenger in the Lord's message. Jonah said that he was to preach the preaching that God had bidden him. So now, note if you would, the cleansing. The text says in verse 13, His servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? Now, he's already reasoned in his mind. I mean, what about these other two rivers? I mean, surely they're better than the old Jordan River. And why can't I just go wash in these rivers? Well, let me tell you why. Because it's not in the message. The, mess, the divine message is, you go wash in the River Jordan seven times and what will happen? You'll be clean. Can't misunderstand that, can you? And so in verse 13, How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? Now look at verse 14. Note if you would his response. The text says, He went down, dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. So here's my question. What cleansed him of that leprosy? The waters of Jordan? Or his obedience to the message of the man of God? When he complied with the words of the man of God, what happened? He was healed, wasn't he? So that's just a brief examination of the text. But what I want to do now, I want you to consider with me the application. Because I think that there is a lot to be said for this text and how it applies to those of us who are alive today, religiously speaking. 
there are a lot of things that we hear in the world. For example, sometimes the world will say this, and if you listen to those who are making these claims and those who are making certain propositions, the assumption is, well, they've got to be saying the truth, don't they? I mean, they've got to be telling the very Word of God to those who are listening. But upon closer inspection, what we find out is what the world says sometimes is in conflict with what the Word says. There are a lot of things that people peddle religiously today, I'm going to be very honest, that are not in the message. They're not in the message. Let me just cite for you some of these things. Number one, how many times have you heard somebody say, one church is as good as another? You ever heard that? That's what people think in the religious world, isn't it? All right, so here's my question. You know, if you're going to make a proposition, then you've got to be able to sustain that proposition, don't you? So show me one verse in Scripture that says one church is as good as another. That it really doesn't matter. That's what the world says. The world says you identify the church that you want to belong to, and guess what? That's acceptable. But in Matthew chapter 16, I read about Jesus in northern Palestine, Caesarea Philippi, and in that context, he's asked the disciples about his identity. And they said, as you well know, some are saying you're John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But then Jesus asked this question, but whom do you say that I am? And Peter spoke up and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus then said, and I also say to you that you're Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. The Lord Jesus promised to build the church, didn't He? Well, how many churches did Jesus promise to build as recorded by Matthew in chapter 16, verse 18? Just one. So you're telling me that the world says any church will do. You just identify the church wherever you want to go, and guess what? That's okay. But is that biblical? In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul said, There is one body and one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling. All right? What is the body? Paul said he's the head of the body, the church. So you're telling me then that there's just one body, and if there's just one body, there's just one church. So if there's only one church, does it matter what church I belong to? Does it matter? So when people say, well, you know what, just any church will do. Listen, that's not in the message, is it? No more so than when the prophet, the man of God, said to Naaman, go dip seven times in the river Jordan and what will happen? You'll be cleansed. To cite some other river or to speculate some other thing that would cleanse him, listen, that wasn't in the message, was it? If it's not in the message, is it biblical? Didn't Peter say, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God? And didn't Paul say, prove all things, hold fast that which is good? 
Does it not come down to making sure that what we're talking about is found in the Word of God? Paul asked this question, what does the Scripture say? I know there are a lot of folks today that make fun of book, chapter, verse, preaching and teaching. Well, let me tell you what. I'm not going to bank my salvation on what somebody says if I can't find it in the book, in the book of books. And I want book, chapter, and verse, don't you? Call me old-fashioned, narrow-minded, whatever you want to call me, but listen. Peter said, if any man will speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. Here's another one. How many times have you heard people talk about the various churches, plural, that have been founded by men? There are churches that have been started by men like Wesley, Luther, and others, Joseph Smith. Well, is that in the message? Have you read anything in Scripture that would make you think that we have the biblical right to be a part of a church that was founded by a man. You ever read that? We read Matthew 16, 18 a minute ago when Jesus said, upon this rock I'll build my church. The church that we're talking about is the church of Scripture. It was the church that began in Jerusalem on Pentecost Day nearly 2,000 years ago. Any church that traces its origin back to a place other than Jerusalem in the first century is not the New Testament church. Jesus is not only the founder of the church, He is the foundation of the church. Paul said, Other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 3.11 So we're talking about the church founded by Christ and that rests upon the one foundation, that being Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It was built upon the rock. That is, that bedrock statement made by Peter that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. Thirdly, there are people in the world today that espouse there are two heads of the church. You ever heard that? We have the earthly head, and then we have the head who resides in heaven. Is that in the message? Have you read anywhere in the New Testament where God has authorized someone to sit in the seat of God and direct the affairs of the church? You ever read anything about a papacy? A college of cardinals? A bishop over one area of quote-unquote churches? You ever read anything like that? Why is that? Because it's not in the message. Now listen, I'm not saying these things to hurt anyone. I'm not trying to be arrogant or caustic. But we need to know this. The world at large needs to know this. You know, when people start saying, well, you know what? We have a head who serves as the one who is directing the affairs of the church on earth, we need to say, well, wait a minute here. What does the message teach? The Bible says that Jesus and Jesus alone is the head of the church. Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 6, there is only one potentate. Well, who is that? 
the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus Christ can adequately serve as the head over His body. Listen, the Bible says there's just one church, one body, right? There's just one body and there's just one head. How then does the Lord regulate the affairs of the church? And by the way, the authority does not rest in the church. The authority rests in Christ. In the church, churches can be wrong. There are people that identify as members of churches of Christ. But when you start looking at how they worship and some of the things that they're advocating, I can tell you right now, they may have the sign out front that says Church of Christ, but they are not the Church of Christ. At least not biblically. If you don't follow what the Word teaches, then you cease to lose the right to wear the name of Jesus. Does that make sense? So I mean, don't think that I'm jumping on people in the religious world without calling out some of our own people. Because I think sometimes we need to be honest. Say, you know what, there are some folks in the body of Christ that have gone too far. They've gone too far for me. When you start bringing an instrument into worship, listen, you have gone way too far in my book. And not just my book, but in God's book. There is no authority for instrumental music in worship to God. And yet there are congregations that are now using that. They're not the Lord's church anymore. Now, they may wear that name, but they're an apostasy. That's what the Bible teaches. We talked about how people say one church is as good as another. What about join, join the church of your choice? Can we join the church? The Bible says in Acts 2, verse 47, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. We're not voted into the church. We don't join the church. The Lord adds us to the church. And then what about this? People will sometimes say, you know, membership in the church is not essential. I mean, you don't have to be a member of the church. You don't have to be a part of a formal institution to go to heaven. Is that what the Bible teaches? Is that in the message? Can you read that in your Bible? I read where people who were baptized into Christ were added to the body of Christ, Acts 2, verse 47. I can read where Paul said, By one spirit were you all baptized into one body, and that body is the church. And in Ephesians 5, verse 23, Paul said, speaking of Christ, He is the Savior of the body. If Jesus is the Savior of the body, and the Savior in the body, then can you be in a saved relationship with God outside the church? Yes or no? Of course not. You know, some of the things that people propagate and peddle, religiously speaking, if people would just take the time to investigate what the Bible says, they'd find out, you know what? I'm basing my religion, I'm basing what I believe on what somebody has said, but guess what? It's not in the message. It's not in the message. There are people in our world today that are being hoodwinked. They're being told one thing, and the facts are, they just don't square up with Scripture. And then baptism, not essential to salvation. I would imagine that most of the denominational world would say unequivocally, you do not need to be baptized to go to heaven. 
That's what people say. I hear it on television. I hear it on the radio. But what I want to know, is that in the message? You don't have to be baptized to enjoy salvation from sin. Is that what the Bible teaches? It's amazing. You know, the people that profess to love the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm not impugning anyone's heart, but people will sometimes talk about how much they love Jesus and how much they revere His Word, and yet the very Son of God had this to say, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Now listen, when I was in school, I learned to read using these little books, and the sentence was, See, spot, run. Sentences like that. You tell me how that is any harder to understand than Mark 16, 16. If you can't understand Mark 16, 16, I can tell you this, you'll make it to heaven on a baby's ticket. You don't need to worry about being held accountable for sin. If you can't understand that, Jesus said, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Now on Pentecost Day, Peter and the other apostles were endowed with the baptismal measure of the Holy Spirit. They spoke in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. When they were asked by people who had been indicted for sin, when asked, men and brethren, what shall we do? What was it Peter said? Did Peter say what we typically hear on the radio and television? Which is, I want everybody to bow your heads, accept the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart, say this prayer, and you'll become a child of God. Is that in the message? You can read the ten cases of conversion in the book of Acts, and not one time will you ever read of anyone praying to be saved. Not one time. Simon the sorcerer was told to repent and pray to God, but he had already been baptized into Christ, according to Acts chapter 8, verses 12 and 13. And so God's second law of pardon applied to him. Now listen, when people start telling the world at large, you don't have to be baptized into Christ, somebody needs to stand up and say, hey, wait a minute. That's not what the truth said. That's not in the message. I wonder how many people in their heart of hearts believe that they are in a saved relationship with Jesus but they haven't been baptized into Christ. They're not, they're not a part of the church that we read about in Scripture. What was it Jesus said? Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have I prophesied in your name, and your name cast out demons? In your name done many mighty works. Have they made great sacrifices? The Lord did not deny that. Did they serve him? Day and night, have no question. But Jesus said, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I never knew you. What was the problem? They didn't obey the will of the Father. So is it imperative that we follow what the Bible teaches? Yes. If it's not in the message, it needs to be rejected, doesn't it? And then there are those that espouse human names. I can read in Scripture of people who identified as simply members of the church, Acts 2.47. I can read about people who identified with the church of God, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. I can also read about people who were a part of the church of the living God, 1 Timothy 3.15. 
I read about people who were identified as Christians. Acts 11, verse 26. What are you? Are you a Christian? Do you belong to the body of Christ? I'm not Church of Christ. I am a Christian. I belong to the Church of Christ. In other words, I belong to the church that Jesus governs and regulates, ultimately, that belongs to Him. You know, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel here. We're simply just trying to teach what the Bible teaches. And there are a lot of folks in the church that fundamentally do not know what the Bible teaches, sadly. I think there are a lot of folks in the church today They've given the green light to denominationalism. Fact of the matter is, there is no authority for any denominational church. There's no authority for the Catholic Church. Well, how do I know that? Not in the message. Now, you know, there are a lot of folks that can find their church in the yellow pages, but I want to know this. Can you find it in that book called the Bible? The church you belong to can you read about it in this book? If you can't read about it in this book, then my suggestion is you need to come out of it. You don't need to be a part of a man-made institution. Why? Not in the message. There are some who say doctrine is not important. Don't worry about what you teach. Don't worry about what you practice. Well, if doctrine is not important, why do you think Paul said to Timothy, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine? Continue in them, for in so doing, you said, you'll save both yourself and them that hear you. When I hear people talking about, well, you know, it really doesn't matter what you preach. It doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what you practice. It's not in the message, is it? Let me tell you how important doctrine is. In 2 John 9, John said, Whoever goes onward and abides not in the doctrine of Christ has not God. He that abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. What are you saying? He's saying that if you're in Christ and you're abiding in the Word of Christ, then you have fellowship with God the Father and with the Son. But when you leave the doctrine, the teaching of Christ, that relationship can be severed. I know there are people today that say, well, you know, once saved, always saved. Is that in the message? If it's in the message... Once saved, always saved. Why would the Lord Jesus say, Be faithful unto death, and I'll give you the crown of life, Revelation 2.10? Why would James say, Blessed is the man that endures temptation, for when he's been tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord's promised to them that love him. If faithfulness is not an imperative, why did the Apostle Paul say that he buffeted his body daily, lest he himself, after preaching to some or to others, would become a castaway. I want to encourage you tonight. Don't take what I said and base your religious principles upon that. But you take what the Bible says and you follow that. If you follow what the Bible says, I promise you this. You'll be blessed. 
If anything that I have said is in contradiction to Scripture, then by all means reject it. But if what I have said is found in this book called the Bible, then you need to believe it and obey it. Not because I say it, but because that's what the Lord said. So let me close by asking this question. Your faith tonight, the faith that you have embraced, the faith that you practice, is it in the message? Can you find your church in the Bible? What you did to become a quote-unquote Christian, can you read that in Scripture? Are you walking in the, in the doctrine of Christ? Simple, basic, fundamental questions. I would hope and pray that all of us would, to the best of our ability, be like the Bereans and search the Scriptures. You will never go wrong searching the Scriptures. And listen, truth has nothing to fear. We're going to be judged on the basis of truth. So my encouragement is let's live by it. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, why not come to Christ? Do what they did as recorded by Luke in the book of Acts. Repent, be baptized into Christ, let God put you in the church. Be faithful until death, the promise is the crown of life. Whatever your need tonight, why not come as we stand and sing?